0: This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming.
1: Good morning and welcome to the November 2nd edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast. I'm field agronomist Brian Schrader uh, representing the east side of Indiana and joined as always by my co-host Carl Jorn from western Indiana and Ben Jacob from southern Indiana. Good morning guys, how
2: are you? Good morning, Brian. I'm doing well.
0: Thanks. Doing pretty good, Brian. Thanks.
1: Good. Now, uh curious, I guess, uh, harvest progress for you guys. Where are we at? Can we say we're finished yet? Are we on the downhill slide? Where do you feel like
0: you're at, Carl, on uh, harvest progress? Uh great question, Brian. I'd say everybody's wrapped up on beans with the exception of double crop. It's been that way for probably a better part of a week now. Um, we got a pretty good slug of rain here middle of last week. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday picked up two, three inches, depending on where you were. There were guys back combining on Friday and some that might still be sitting there right now, just depending on their ground. So I'd guess we've probably got uh, a little under half the corn to go, maybe closer to a third would be where I'd probably peg it sitting here, uh, here today on uh, happy Halloween, uh, Monday, October 31st. So, um and be curious what things look like for ben jacobs neck of the woods as passing through southern indiana over the weekend
2: yeah so i mean similar place on beans we wrapped up um, for the most part probably 10 days ago a little longer than that we got the same rain earlier last week that carl got and that was followed up um it started raining yesterday morning and it's still raining so um that first rain, i mean we were we were dry um county's counties that implement such things down here had burn bands uh going into the fall so um on corn i would say we're we're we've got to be getting close to single digits left maybe 10 percent um tops most of it's wrapped up The we about about three weeks ago we hit a little bit of a moisture wall with some june planted corn uh, but most most of that's getting wrapped up it's just uh if with the harvest window we had this year if folks were able to keep equipment running and elevators weren't full and the bins weren't full. That's, that's a heck of a problem to have, but really, really we've been up against a little bit of moisture and a lot of storage issues where, where elevators were shutting down early in the evening and not open on the weekends just because they can't keep grain away from them. So it's not the worst situation to be in, but it's a little bit inconvenient at times. How about Northeast Indiana, Brian? Uh, I would probably echo what you guys are
1: saying i mean soybeans are are pretty much all but gone at this point a few double crops but frankly our double crops got hurt pretty bad because of the frost carl and so yep. you know there's some of those that are probably not honestly going to get harvested at this point uh in terms of corn uh, in full disclosure i was out of the territory for a good chunk uh last week and so as i drove around coming back and looking at things, I'd say we're probably right there around a quarter, maybe less of corn uh, that's harvested. I know there's some folks that are definitely done and finished up. I also know there's some folks that have still got a little bit yet to go. And so I'd say probably about 25% or so is where we're probably sitting in corn. That might be a little high for some geography. So uh, I feel pretty good about where we're at. Um, we did not get quite the amount of rain from what I can tell and from talking to folks uh, midweek like you did Carl so we still had some pretty decent progress uh, throughout this week but uh, here here the last couple of days I know I've gotten some notes from some folks finished up and then mm-hmm. uh, the rain's going to slow us down a little bit for the next couple of days I would say but it's not going to be Unless it rains a lot more today, it's not going to keep us out much longer, I would say. So, we'll, we should be done, I would think, by the tail end of the week with any luck at all. Yep. So, yep. I don't know. So we're uh, we've got the privilege of being joined by Jaron Schmall today. Jaron is the product lifecycle manager for everything east of Indiana, so all of the Eastern Corn Belt. Uh, Jaron serves as the product lifecycle manager for that group, and he can kind of explain that role to those that may be uninitiated. Uh, Certainly, the three of us work with uh, Will Smart, who is Jaron's counterpart here in Indiana, and Jaron, or excuse me, Will takes care of Indiana and Illinois. Uh, for that same role. So, Jaron, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Uh, maybe, if you don't mind, give us a little bit of background uh, on you, uh, your time with Pioneer, and how you ended up in the product lifecycle manager role.
3: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Yeah, so I appreciate the opportunity to to jump on and, and chat a little bit with everybody this morning. So, yeah, I've been with the company. It's it's actually coming up on about eighteen years now. Uh, it's been a couple of years and. Uh, sales agronomy role a couple years in agronomy research and then for ten or I guess maybe c- coming up on 12 in a product management capacity um, And I've worked basically e- e- Eastern half of the country in some form or fashion. I've covered pretty much every state use the and, and as you guys you just indicated I right now I'm responsible for the northeastern states for corn and soybeans. So um, that's that's basically just deciding what we're going to advance on our research and kind of helping Guide a production plan, um, and then I've also got the privilege of being uh, the U.S. lead um, for for soft red winter wheat. So I've got um, I've got that crop as well. With you know my geography, that I currently support covers a lot of those acres. But I you know obviously also work with Indiana, Illinois, the southern states, Wisconsin, Missouri. Um, work with the Canadian team too. Basically, so Jaron, I guess a
1: question we have a little bit of a different management i guess model for the winter week can you talk to us a little bit about why the difference in that with you just as the individual that kind of takes care of that versus like corn and soybeans is it purely just a, a volume situation that we've got there uh the fact that you've got the largest percentage of acres or can you talk to us a little bit about why that's just a little bit of a special setup
3: yeah yeah and we basically the way we got it broken up I mean it, you know it's it, you know corn and beans are just a lot larger volume crops for us so that's part of it um, and, and you know with, with the experience level that others in my role have with various crops they've just kind of put the person that's been working with that crop for a while and has a lot of those acres in their geography in, in charge of this product line so there's other, there's other guys that will manage uh, that'll manage sunflowers or, or sorghum and and kind of the guys that sit in the sit in the centers of some of those areas or at least close to some of the heavy acres certainly i work with my counterparts um but it's just you kind of it's kind of good to have a lead point person on something like wheat Um, you know the breeding program is a lot smaller so you just don't need as many people a lot larger
1: research organization okay and so can you tell us just a little bit you know we hear a lot about the start of the pioneer wheat program and some of the things you know there's a lot of things that we hear about where the germplasm came from how we breed you know maybe that's a little bit different than some others can you give us kind of a brief history on the pioneer wheat program and uh, how we're at the spot that we're at now
3: yeah so the program has been in, in play for decades now um you know it's based down to actually your neck of the woods of course i mean just north of uh just north of Indianapolis there and in when little town of windfall, um, our, that's our, our core wheat breeding program. Um, <clears> that's <throat> actually our largest breeding center on the globe. And, you know, it's corn, wheat, there's some production research that goes on there. So, um, but yeah, so our, our, our wheat team, at least from a varietal standpoint sits in that, uh, in that geography has been breeding there. I think we're, I think we're past 50 years of history now in, uh, and we, one of the nice things about being in that center, um, you know, working closely with corn and beans, has just been the capacity for our organization to leverage a lot of the tools that others are using, so molecular markers and some of the other fancy stuff that gets that gets used a lot in corn and beans. We've Been able to utilize some of those tools, some of the prediction modeling that's, that we're being that we're using in some crops. We're able to leverage some of those uh, some of those tools and help us accelerate what we're doing and. In, in that's one of the nice things about being in, you know, what we call a multi-crop center that allows us to, you know, talk to other breeders across different, uh, different crops and really make sure we're using element
1: selection. Yeah. One of the things that I have always enjoyed about our wheat researchers is how open, uh, they have been to, uh, looking at different locations they may be in windfall but you look and you think about the research locations that they've got when I was an agronomist in Ohio I had research locations uh, you know that were being used out of the windfall research location but those guys go a long way can you talk a little bit about what that research circle uh, looks like for that since they are headquartered in windfall not all that wheat research is being done there in in Tipton County Indiana
3: that's exactly right. So, yeah, the, a lot of the nursery work is done there, but as far as the testing, that's done basically every place that we've got significant wheat, wheat acres we have testing. So, um, and the way we do that, I mean, the the impact program that we utilize, um, you know, the plant corn and soybeans, some of those same teams will put some wheat plots in for us as well. So, we've got, we've got wheat um, plots in in Janesville, Missouri, and Ontario, out on the east coast and all through the south. And then we've also got some places where we don't have research centers. We do have a couple of uh, universities that we contract with to help us expand our footprint as well. So that really gives us full testing gamut from north to south, east to west, every place that we grow wheat that allows us to, to characterize products. And then we still do have um, a, a, strip, a strip trial program with wheat which is uh, which is something we used to do a little bit of in corn and beans we still we still maintain that that testing pattern um, with our late stage products and wheat just to get characterization for yield and standability of those kind of things late in the game so it gives us even though like you said we're based in we're based in Indiana we're, we've got a good testing footprint every place that we
1: So what if you were talking to someone uninitiated with Pioneer Wheat, I mean, from your perspective uh, as the product manager for wheat, what would be some of the highlights that you would talk about that are kind of the hallmark of Pioneer Wheat? I mean, I think the three of us would know that, but I'd be curious what your perspective is, given the fact that you see the whole, uh, you know, the whole program and are looking at it and evaluating it from a national perspective.
3: Yeah, I mean the first thing that comes to mind is scab tolerance. Um, So that's something that we've worked on for decades, and it's probably been oh, we're probably pushing 10 years ago. But I mean, there was always that that negative correlation between you know scab and yield. So it was it was you could get a really high um, level of scab tolerance in your lineup, but that came at a pretty significant yield penalty when you did that. So. It was hard to get that that balance just right. So, you know, if you think a decade ago, we carried some really scab-resistant lines, and then we had some high-yield lines that you had to manage and make sure you had, you know, rotation. And, of course, in those days, we didn't have the, the fungicides that we do today to help manage that. Well, you know, you're talking about this molecular marker technology and those types of things. They were about, again, about a decade ago, we were kind of able to break that linkage between scab and yield to where we're able to, to really start bringing some high-yield lines along that have some pretty significant levels of scab tolerance we've moved our, our our entire lineup from a place where it was you know we kind of had a mix of scab tolerance to today where we got high yielding lines that are also also have a really high level of scab tolerance And that's been you know the biggest the biggest target of our breeding program for a long 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 time has been that scab piece that's been the biggest thing i've seen in our breeding program certainly we've made improvements and and, and other diseases, but that's you know that's that's the most critical one. Obviously, the one that you know causes issues with um, your quality of the grain and, the, and how much of that product you can sell. So, uh, and again, it's something we didn't have fun- foliar fungicides for until it was probably
1: the biggest thing. Okay, and then I guess in terms of that grain quality piece, you know, one of the things that we've over the years. Have had guys really talk about has been test weight, you know. And in corn, that's always been important. How do our breeders, uh, from a wheat standpoint look at test weight, Jaron? I mean, how important is that in their breeding program? I mean, certainly head scabs come a long way. I I've seen that over the the time I've been with Pioneer, but I know test weight's always something that wheat growers really can you know see a decline in especially if we get into a wet fall or wet summer and harvest season I'd be curious what your thoughts are on how we evaluate what we look at when we're trying to figure out test weight improvements on our wheat crop
3: yeah so we try we've got we've got treatment in place um for test weight that we we adhere to just to make sure we don't go below threshold now it is it is a challenge there too because you know it it in, in all crops, not just wheat, corn, you know, basically any crop that you deal with, there's also that negative correlation where things that are a little bit lower test weight um, can tend to be a little bit higher yielding. Now, again, you can have really high test weight products that yield really well, but easier to if, to, to have those. Lower. But we do maintain that threshold in place to make sure that we've got a minimum level of test weight. The other thing we're working on, too, is, you know, falling numbers has been something that people Talked about is that alpha, you know, that alpha amylase <coughs> measurement in the fall as you weather the crop. Sometimes that's not always correlated with with test weight. we've been developing some protocols to make some improvements on our falling numbers in our wheat. Well, so that'll be another spot that, in addition to test weight, will help us maintain that quality of the grain harvest, especially in a year where we get some weathering conditions.
1: Sure. Well, over the years, we've also played in some other wheat markets, Um, you know, I guess kind of a continuation of this this idea of what our breeding program has done. You know, when I was in Ohio, we had a white wheat market for the Nabisco folks in Toledo, Uh, you know, that ebbed and flowed in terms of the volume um you know at one point uh pioneer actually had a spring wheat program as well i guess jaron give us kind of an idea i mean i know you're in charge of the soft red winter wheat but where are we at on some of these other wheat programs that we've had in the past
3: yeah so we maintain we still do have a soft white winter program and that's the same that's the same breeding teams so we breed that in our same spot right out of windfall um indiana and like you said that market is um just a, a little bit we got there's a plant uh in new york that uh, utilizes just a little bit of white wheat um there's some white wheat in michigan and a lot of it's grown in ontario so we still do try to maintain a couple of white products in the lineup and have had some success um with that part of the lineup and that's a varietal program as far as the other wheat classes go yeah we've kind of, it's kind of been ebb, ebbed and flowed but we have uh, we have hired um some breeders they're looking at the hard wheat classes as well um, from a spring standpoint. So, um, and that's, and if those, those programs are basically hybrid programs. So that's something that we've been working on for the last couple of years, both in soft red winter wheat and in the, in the hard red wheat. So, um, we've got some breeders hired we're kind of evaluating, um, that germ plasm trying to figure out some production techniques, still a few years off on that, but there is uh, quite a bit of interest in, in the company to continue that, uh, that research and see if we can't develop some hybrid programs for some of these other wheat classes down the road.
0: So Brian, oh, just, for, just for folks at ahead, home that, that might be wheat novices or wheat amateurs like myself, got your soft red winter wheat that's raised east of the Mississippi, more or less, and that's going into your cakes and cookies and things of that nature. Then you got your hard red winter wheat that's raised out in the western plains and that's where you get your your baking wheat for breads and rolls and things of that nature and then we've been talking about winter wheat this whole time for those folks that Um, you know might be listening to us from uh, way up in Montana or Idaho that's where you guys have your spring wheat that we've received questions over the past couple years about can I plant spring wheat here in you know northern Indiana and is that something that uh, makes sense or not I can't recall if we've addressed that on the podcast but Jaren for those uh, as Brian said the uninitiated to spring wheat uh, maybe maybe would you have a couple talking points or ideas as to why that might be a little bit of a gamble as opposed to raising spring wheat where it uh, traditionally has been raised.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's like anything. Yeah, certainly you can grow the crop, but it's just, we just haven't selected um, products that are adapted for the region as you know, so that would be the biggest challenge is scab tolerance and either either foliar diseases are very different in different parts of the country. So, um so, yeah, the, the, what, what, when we have tried to do that, what we've discovered is you just run into a whole host of grain uh, quality issues and those types of things. Uh, certainly, it, it's it's something that people asked about as commodity prices um, spike this spring. But, I mean, typically, you know, we have not selected or developed products that are adapted to the region. Like you mentioned, you run a significant risk. Actually, even being able to develop a crop or get a crop to yield that will... Uh,
1: So let's go back, maybe talk a little bit more about our hybrid program. I know there's a lot of folks that are excited about that idea. Um, It's not necessarily a a new concept in wheat. Uh, I think it's um, been around for a long time. Being successful uh, is another whole ball of wax. Uh, But I guess, can you bring us kind of inside what we're able to share a little bit about our hybrid breeding program, Jaron. for those folks that really do think that might be the next step in performance uh, for wheat. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then also why Pioneer decided to pursue the program. Uh, You know, it's been a lot of years uh, that we kind of had kept it at arm's length, really. And so I'd be curious about the change in thought or direction there as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, we could we could spend probably quite a bit of time to talking about that, but maybe just to bring it down a few basic points. I mean, number one, I mean, hybridization um, is a really good way to drive yield, so that's a reason to look at it, like we do with our corn crop. If you can if you can hybridize a crop, you know, take two inbreds and cross them and make a hybrid, you get that – that bump in yield, and we've seen that in wheat as well. Now, of course, in corn, it's really, really simple to do, because you got a, a male part and a female part. You've got a tassel in the ear, right? So, the parts are separated, and it's pretty easy to make those crosses. You know, you can tassel a plant uh, and uh, of, of a female, and then have the, the male pollinate it, and voila, you've got a hybrid. Most other crops, like wheat that are self-pollinated, it's, it's a lot more difficult to work out the production technique. So, so the reason to do it, number one, is just you know dramatic improvement in yield, and we've we've done you know just some of the early stage testing. You know we've seen you know eight ten percent increases um, in yield potential with hybrid wheat um, without doing a lot of additional selection to try to get that done. Just some early stage proof of concept. So it's like yeah this it's enough research to we know yeah this would work, and if we really put the resources before behind it, we could drive it even higher than that. Challenge has always been production piece of it so it's not it's not a simple thing to do to, to hi- actually hybridize the crop from a production standpoint and get and get the seed cost to a position to where it would make sense for a grower to buy it so that's been our biggest challenge is trying to get our production costs down to where the seed doesn't cost so much that it overwhelms that entire that entire yield gain so that's what we're working on right now is just to try to understand the production techniques There've been a few a few changes with some of the you know the technology over the last few years. We're just we're basically still in the still trying to figure that out, and that's been the biggest the biggest up and that's what's held us up over the years. You kind of alluded to that, it's like you know this has been looked at before um, from a hybrid standpoint over the years. Why haven't we done it? And just that production cost has just always been the, the challenge. So we're we're taking another run at it. We have some new ideas that we think we think will. Uh, Contribute to some success and, and enough uh, enough there that we that we've gone ahead, like I said, and hired some breeders to start working in some of the other market classes to see if we. You know, obviously, wheat is you know globally it's the world's biggest crop for except so for a company like Eva. It's already in big you know in agronomic crops and, and uh, beans and, and 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 corn and sunflowers and rice and and all, uh, you know some other crops globally. It makes a whole ton, a whole bunch of sense to to the wheat market as well so that's the that's the nut we're trying to
1: crack right now is that production piece Brian so Jaren we we talked a little bit about <clears throat> you know some of our our plans moving forward we've talked a little bit about the varieties are you know in terms of the hallmarks I guess I'd be curious as you look at all of the products that you've got uh, that you're stewarding, do two or three come to the top that are worth talking about today? That have been advances uh, or have changed kind of the way we look at our wheat lineup here in the last few years.
3: Um. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good question. I mean we we have advanced a couple products in the last uh, in the last couple of years. I mean you know our most most recent advancement was a. The variety um, 25R R65 we brought out here pretty recently is kind of a kind of a double crop market wheat with a little bit better a uh, little bit better test weight and standability than some previous crops um, or previous products. Um, so that would be one. And then we've got some stuff on the full season side like 25R29 that we brought out as well. But I mean, again, the main the main thing I would call out is you know everything we've advanced in the last several years that higher level of scab tolerance that uh, pretty exciting to see. So. And, of course, we're developing things, again, like I mentioned, for the southern market. So our, our goal is to try to have a, a, basically a new product every, every year or so in the northern markets. Just a, in, in the last couple of years, we've had one or two. So that's, that's kind of the right pace. I mean, we keep you know 10 or 12 products or something like that across our entire portfolio for the northern U.S., and then we'll have another half a, half a dozen or so in the southern U.S., try to keep that fresh, try to keep a a new level of yield coming every year with the product advancement. A couple, couple again this year that are in late stage testing and we try to maintain, maintain several in late stage testing, like I said.
1: Okay, well, and one of the questions and I'll, I'll give it to you, we've never actually addressed it on the podcast, but one of the questions that most of the agronomists get is why don't we have more onless varieties in the pioneer lineup and would you talk a little bit about the situation there why we don't have those you know there's folks different livestock producers and such that really want those onless varieties we always try to keep at least one in the lineup but talk to us a little bit about that so that folks can understand uh i guess not necessarily a challenge but the reason why you don't always see uh, a plethora of onless varieties in pioneers wheat lineup
3: yeah, we, yeah, and there are those livestock producers that have got this kind of, we did have a little bit of a gap in our program, but we do have onless products, um, we got one in, in pre-commercial tests now, so, um, yeah, it's one of those things in plots, it's, you know, they, they tend to get, they tend to get a little bit more animal damage and those kind of things, as you guys know, so that's, that's a lot of times the, the on varieties, you know, if you don't want them from a livestock standpoint, the on, that on characteristic is kind of nice, just because it keeps the. Deer and other things a little bit more at bay than the uh, than the onless types, but <coughs> we are filling that gap. I know, in particular, in, in Indiana, twenty-five r fifty has been a pretty successful product. And you do have a uh, replacement slash companion. We'll, we'll see which how it positions itself in the field. But some new products that are coming from an onless standpoint to make sure that we tackle that uh, variety. The biggest thing really is just the the market is just for onless um, is just. Smaller than our on wheat, so that's just kind of how our program has been developed, and the research behind it has been developed. So, um, so yeah, probably had a little bit of a gap on that on the side, but yeah, again, we do pretty late stage commercial testing and.
1: All right, guys. Well, I, we've spent a decent amount of time with Jaren talking about wheat. Are there some things that maybe I haven't thought through that we haven't covered yet that are worth discussing with Jaron around our, our
0: wheat lineup and uh, our breeding program? Brian, I thought you covered it well. You know, what I took away from our conversation with Jaron is uh, we're very fortunate as residents of the great state of Indiana that uh, windfall happens to be our global, um, you know, location for wheat breeding uh, with 50 years of experience. That's that's some pretty cool and exciting stuff. Jaron shared that, uh, you know, test weight and scab tolerance are a couple of hallmarks of of you know the efforts the breeding organization has made, I'd also note that a winter hardiness is something that I've heard a lot of folks uh, give a nod to uh, when it comes to their Pioneer wheat, and I've heard it alluded to that, you know, since windfall is maybe in uh, the, the northern climes of where soft red is traditionally bred, that that kind of gives us that inherent selection pressure. So that's that's good for growers in northern and central Indiana that we're, we're breeding wheat right where you live and raise your wheat. Um, you know, hybrid wheat is on the horizon is something that Jaren has said. I've been with Pioneer, you know, half the time that Jaren has, but I've also heard that uh, hybrid wheat's been on the horizon here before. So it'll be exciting when that day comes. But in the meantime, knowing that our traditional breeding methods are, are, you know, continuing to move the bar uh, with respect to the rate of genetic gain and varieties like Jaren had mentioned R65, we've got R61 and 64 And Indiana. Um, I know 25R76 has been an awfully exciting variety that we've advanced here that growers are experiencing for the first time uh, this last harvest and putting it in the ground as we speak. Um, And then he mentioned 25R29, that sounds more like Ben Jacob wheat than it does uh, Carl Jorn wheat, but uh, I know we've got some R29 that went out in Northwest Indiana here this fall as well. So um, what I took away is Glad to have Jaren at the helm of uh, of wheat for the United States of America. Cool that Windfall is, uh, you know, the North Pole, uh, if you will, keeping all the all the kids happy. And um, yeah, it's uh it's it's all good news in the world of Pioneer wheat as we're getting close to wrapping up getting it seeded. You can still get it planted in the month of November, but uh, as that page turns, we're going to leave a little bit on the table uh, as we get from October to November. So.
1: Yep, for sure, and I I would echo the fact that even with the product volume size being a little bit different and having a bit of a different management strategy, uh, it is nice to always have Jaren just a phone call away if you've got some questions about direction and what we're doing. And so uh, I've been fortunate to work with Jaren, you know, most of my career uh, either directly when he was an agronomist and I was agronomist in Ohio, or as we both have you know transitioned roles. It's nice to have a person you can pick up the phone and know exactly who to talk to and that's I think a hallmark of why our wheat program is continuing to do as well as it is is because Jaron's stewarding it uh, quite well. So Ben what any thoughts on your part?
2: No, well, I think it's a great conversation. Um, you know folks that know my background know that uh, windfall and all of its programs are, are near and dear to my heart. Having spent, you know, nearly nearly a decade with the folks that are stewarding those programs. So, um, it is great to see new things come, come out of the wheat program and, um, well, really everything in that building, you know, Carl, Carl mentioned, there's still a lot of time to, to still a little bit of time, I should say, to get some wheat in the ground. Um, it might be worth throwing out there for the, for the folks that are maybe new to wheat or, or don't plant wheat at all, that just, just like the conversation in Southern Indiana, there are going to be a lot of fields of wheat with an effective planting date of, I don't know, October 24th, because we were so dry prior to that. The wheat was seeded earlier, but that's when we got the rain. So um, just as a, just as a caveat for folks that did have wheat in the ground is dry. Um, You know, now that we do have a rain, it's a good idea as we go through the fall to get out and do, do a stand assessment on that wheat and, um, and circle back to that in the spring before we spend a bunch of money on nitrogen. Just throw that out there as a, as a tangential conversation to the main conversation. But uh, thank you, Jaron, for coming on. It's always great to hear from folks with a greater depth of knowledge than me about the organization and processes at large.
1: So Jaron, I, we appreciate your time. If somebody heard something today and they wanted to get in contact with you and find out a little bit more about weed or a little bit more about what you're doing, or maybe something you said, how could folks get a hold of you?
3: Yeah, sure. Sure. Brian, uh, I'm not on the traditional social media platforms, but certainly, um, you know, local sales reps have got, got my contact information and could pass on any, uh, any questions or comments certainly willing to, to talk to anybody that would like to chat about it so yeah my my any any of the local reps could uh could point you in my direction and with as far as phone number email that kind of thing and we could touch base if you've got a question all
1: right excellent ben if somebody heard something uh from you today or needs to get a hold of an agronomist in southern indiana how can they get a hold of you
2: yeah you can get a hold of me um through twitter at the ben jacob or on facebook at ben jacob agronomy
0: how about you carl and you can do the same on Twitter at C Jorn and on Facebook at C Jorn agronomy. And how about you, Mr. Schrader? Yep. You can uh, find me
1: on Twitter at B K Schrader and on Instagram B underscore K underscore Schrader. those will two, be the two best ways. So we appreciate everybody tuning in, Jaron. We appreciate your time today and thank you for coming on and giving us some uh, new insight into the wheat breeding program. We hope everybody's harvest is uh, been safe and that you're uh, getting down to the last throws of it. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next week on the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy Podcast.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.